Part five, propositions six to ten of the Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza, translated by R. H. M. Els. Part five, propositions six to ten. Proposition six. The mind has greater power over the emotions, and is less subject thereto, in so far as it understands all things as necessary. Proof. The mind understands all things to be necessary, part 1, proposition 29, and to be determined to existence and operation by an infinite chain of causes. Therefore, by the foregoing proposition, it thus far brings it about that it is less subject to the emotions arising therefrom, and part three proposition forty eight feels less emotion towards the things themselves quod erat demonstrandum note the more this knowledge that things are necessary is applied to particular things which we conceive more distinctly and vividly the greater is the power of the mind over the emotions as experience also testifies for we see that the pain arising from the loss of any good is mitigated as soon as the man who has lost it perceives that it could not by any means have been preserved. So also we see that no one pities an infant because it cannot speak, walk, or reason, or lastly because it passes so many years, as it were, in unconsciousness. Whereas if most people were born full-grown and only one here and there as an infant, every one would pity the infants, because infancy would not then be looked on as a state natural and necessary, but as a fault or delinquency in nature, and we may note several other instances of the same sort. Proposition 7. Emotions which are aroused or spring from reason, if we take account of time, are stronger than those which are attributable to particular objects that we regard as absent. Proof. We do not regard a thing as absent by reason of the emotion wherewith we conceive it, but by reason of the body, being affected by another emotion excluding the existence of the said thing. Part 2. Proposition 17. Wherefore, the emotion which is referred to the thing which we regard as absent is not of a nature to overcome the rest of a man's activities and power. Part 4. Proposition 6. But is, on the contrary, of a nature to be in some sort controlled by the emotions which exclude the existence of its external cause. Part 4. Proposition 9. But an emotion which springs from reason is necessarily referred to the common properties of things. See the definition of reason in Part 2, Proposition 40, Note 2, which we always regard as present, for there can be nothing to exclude their present existence, and which we always conceive in the same manner. Part 2, Proposition 38. Wherefore, an emotion of this kind always remains the same, and consequently, part 5, axioma 1, emotions which are contrary thereto, and are not kept going by their external causes, will be obliged to adapt themselves to it more and more, until they are no longer contrary to it. To this extent, the emotion which springs from reason is more powerful. Quot erat demonstrandum. Proposition 8. 
an emotion is stronger in proportion to the number of simultaneous concurrent causes whereby it is aroused. Proof. Many simultaneous causes are more powerful than a few. Part 3, Proposition 7. Therefore, Part 4, Proposition 5, in proportion to the increased number of simultaneous causes whereby it is aroused, an emotion becomes stronger. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note, this proposition is also evident from Part 5, Axioma 2. Proposition 9. An emotion which is attributable to many and diverse causes which the mind regards as simultaneous with the emotion itself is less hurtful, and we are less subject thereto, and less affected towards each of its causes, than if it were a different and equally powerful emotion attributable to fewer causes, or to a single cause. Proof. An emotion is only bad or hurtful, in so far as it hinders the mind from being able to think. Part 4, Proposition 26 and 27. Therefore, an emotion whereby the mind is determined to the contemplation of several things at once is less hurtful than another equally powerful emotion which so engrosses the mind in the single contemplation of a few objects, or of one, that it is unable to think of anything else. This was our first point. Again, as the mind's essence, in other words, its power, part 3, proposition 7, consists solely in thought, part 2, proposition 11, the mind is less passive in respect to an emotion which causes it to think of several things at once than in regard to an equally strong emotion which keeps it engrossed in the contemplation of a few or of a single object. This was our second point. Lastly, this emotion, part 3, proposition 48, in so far as it is attributable to several causes, is less powerful in regard to each of them. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 10. So long as we are not assailed by emotions contrary to our nature, we have the power of arranging and associating the modifications of our body according to the intellectual order. Proof. The emotions which are contrary to our nature, that is, part 4, proposition 30, which are bad, are bad in so far as they impede the mind from understanding, part 4, proposition 27. So long, therefore, as we are not assailed by emotions contrary to our nature, the mind's power, whereby it endeavours to understand things, part 4, proposition 26, is not impeded, and therefore it is able to form clear and distinct ideas, and to deduce them one from another, part 2, proposition 40, note 2, and part 2, proposition 47, note Consequently, we have in such cases the power of arranging and associating the modifications of the body according to the intellectual order. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note. By this power of rightly arranging and associating the bodily modifications, we can guard ourselves from being easily affected by evil emotions. For, part 5, proposition 7, a greater force is needed for controlling the emotions when they are arranged and associated according to the intellectual order than when they are uncertain and unsettled. The best we can do, therefore, so long as we do not possess a perfect knowledge of our emotions, is to frame a system of right conduct, or fixed practical precepts, 
to commit it to memory, and to apply it forthwith to the particular circumstances which now and again meet us in life, so that our imagination may become fully imbued therewith, and that it may be always ready to our hand. Footnote. Continuo, rendered constantly by Mr. Pollock, on the ground that the classical meaning of the word does not suit the context. And footnote. For instance, we have laid down among the rules of life, part 4, proposition 46, and note, that hatred should be overcome with love or high-mindedness, and not required with hatred in return. Now that this precept of reason may be always ready to our hand in time of need, we should often think over and reflect upon the wrongs generally committed by men, and in what manner and way they may be best warded off by high-mindedness. We shall thus associate the idea of wrong with the idea of this precept, which accordingly will always be ready for use when a wrong is done to us. Part 2. Proposition 18. If we keep also in readiness the notion of our true advantage, and of the good which follows from mutual friendships and common fellowships, Further, if we remember that complete acquiescence is the result of the right way of life, part 4, proposition 52, and that men, no less than everything else, act by the necessity of their nature, in such case I say the wrong, or the hatred which commonly arises therefrom, will engross a very small part of our imagination, and will be easily overcome. Or, if the anger which springs from a grievous wrong be not overcome easily, it will nevertheless be overcome, though not without a spiritual conflict, far sooner than if we had not thus reflected on the subject beforehand, as is indeed evident from Part 5, Propositions 6, 7, and 8. We should, in the same way, reflect on courage as a means of overcoming fear. The ordinary dangers of life should frequently be brought to mind and imagined, together with the means whereby through readiness of resource and strength of mind, we can avoid and overcome them. But we must note that in arranging our thoughts and conceptions we should always bear in mind that which is good in every individual thing. Part 4, Proposition 63, Corollary, and Part 3, Proposition 59. In order that we may always be determined to action by an emotion of pleasure. For instance, if a man sees that he is too keen in the pursuit of honour, let him think over its right use, the end for which it should be pursued, and the means whereby he may attain it. Let him not think of its misuse, and its emptiness, and the fickleness of mankind, and the like, whereof no man thinks except through a morbidness of disposition. With thoughts like these do the most ambitious most torment themselves, when they despair of gaining the distinctions they hanker after, and in thus giving vent to their anger would fain appear wise. Wherefore it is certain that those who cry out the loudest against the misuse of honour and the vanity of the world are those who most greedily covet it. This is not peculiar to the ambitious, but is common to all who are ill-used by fortune and who are infirm in spirit. For a poor man also, who is miserly, will talk incessantly of the misuse of wealth and of the vices of the rich whereby he merely torments himself, and shows the world that he is intolerant, not only of his own poverty, but also of other people's riches. So again, those who have been ill-received by a woman they love, think of nothing but the inconstancy, treachery, and other stock-faults of the fair sex. 
all of which they consign to oblivion directly they are again taken into favor by their sweetheart. Thus he who would govern his emotions and appetites solely by the love of freedom strives as far as he can to gain a knowledge of the virtues and their causes, and to fill his spirit with the joy which arises from the true knowledge of them. He will in no wise desire to dwell on men's faults, or to carp at his fellows, or to revel in his false show of freedom. Whosoever will diligently observe and practice these precepts, which indeed are not difficult, will verily, in a short space of time, be able, for the most part, to direct his actions according to the commandments of reason. End of Part 5, Propositions 6-10